to another episode of The Life She Wrote. My name is Emily, I'm your host. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the creator of thelifesherote.com, where I write about faith deconstruction, religious trauma, and other ex-evangelical topics. Today, I am bringing you my first ever guest interview. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, then it's very possible you also follow this incredible woman. Megan Crozier is a writer, editor, educator, and all-around quality human, you might know her on social media as The Pursuing Life, or maybe you've listened to her masterfully curated clubhouse rooms. Either way, I'm so excited to bring you her story uh, for this first installment of an ongoing series that hopefully I will be peppering every season of my podcast with, (laughs) called Stories of Deconstruction otherwise known as my excuse to hang out with and listen to people I think are interesting and smarter than me. Uh, A little background on how this interview came about. I met Megan on Twitter and then followed her on Instagram and realized we probably had a lot in common, and I found her vulnerability uh, very compelling. She had this realness about her that I was instantly drawn to, and I've watched as she's helped foster a community of people I'm quickly becoming very fond of. If you're listening and you've entered into this thing we call deconstruction, then you probably know it can feel like a wilderness full of unknowns and at times unbearably lonely. And so far, watching Megan's journey, she's someone who has not been afraid to reach out into the darkness and pull in the light that she finds wherever she goes. So without further ado, Here's my conversation with Megan Crozier of The Pursuing Life. Well, hello and welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us part of your story and talk about where you've been and where you're headed. So why don't we start with a little bit of your background, kind of uh, what kind of churches you grew up in, uh, and just a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Illinois, Springfield, Illinois, land of Lincoln. And I grew up in an evangelical free church, but really it was comparable to like a non-denominational mega church. We really modeled after Willow Creek. We had leaders and pastors that went to their leadership summits and brought a lot, the dramas, the skits and everything. And so Um, And then I went on to go to a Christian school in Chicago. So really just um, went from being the student leader in my youth group to the campus ministry leader on campus in um, college. So that was, that's kind of my background. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, Something that I'm like always kind of curious uh, about other people who grew up the same way, similar to we did, was what kind of freedom did you felt like you had or a lack of it to ask questions and what kind of impact did that freedom or lack of it have on your deconstruction? Um, I think within the church, you could ask a lot of questions, but you had to seek the answers from the right people if you were going to follow the rules. And so I think Mm -hmm. I had, I had questions about, the Bible. I had questions about rules and, and the way things were done, but I would go to my youth pastor and my youth pastor's wife and mentors and 
small group leaders and then in college, you know, campus leaders. And so I think um, I, I never felt like I couldn't question, but I always felt like they had a, a there was a resource that I was given and that was a very um, within the boundaries of what was believed. Right. So you could ask the questions, but as long as you were only willing to listen to the right answers. almost Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally get that. Um, for some people, they might be able to answer this and some people they may not, but for you in particular, was there one moment that you knew that something inside you had changed? Like as far as either being able to stay in the church or keep believing the same things you believed before. Uh, you know, and like I said, you may not, may or may not have a moment like that, but if you do, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I always felt a little bit different. I remember in college I was, I went to protests um, in Chicago about the war in Iraq. And I had friends that were telling me, why, why is, does this bother you so much? Why are you so concerned this isn't even happening here? Um, so I always felt a little bit different, but I think um, I just, I, I fit in pretty nicely. I, I knew the rules, I knew the language, I knew the culture in evangelicalism. And so it, it really wasn't until the political climate um, that I started to just say, you know what, I, I, I can't do this anymore. So I think I... I think January 6th was a big day for me. And I think I went that following weekend, um, I went to two church services. One was from a more conservative evangelical megachurch that I had been attending prior to that. And one was from a progressive faith community that I was checking out. And um, just the difference in the first one was um, about healthy habits and how to, you know, make sure we're studying our Bible every morning and maybe we should wait to drink our cup of tea before we, until after we've studied the Bible so that we can make sure that we have the right habits and the right priorities. And it really felt like wow. they, they really missed um, an opportunity to talk about just how yeah. the church was used that week um, to yeah. promote Christian nationalism. And so then I went to the next service and they opened with a question and just said, how did you feel on Wednesday and how are you doing right now? And I just knew in that moment that I would never go back to that other church and that, that I had found a new place that I thought would be addressing the things that I needed to see addressed in the church. For sure. Yeah. That's, um, that's a, a heavy helping of cognitive dissonance there than that first church experience. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. And I totally get that. I feel like my I feel like a lot of my uh, deconstruction started with uh, seeing what was going on in the world and seeing white Christians with platforms, especially like on social media, and not using them to talk about those things, you know? Yeah. And I think we've talked about that before, but just, you know, the tendency to, for them to keep uh, posting on Instagram or tweeting just like, you know, one-liners or verses that had nothing to do it was going with what was going on and um yeah just that that disconnect um yeah that's a lot <laughs> yeah 
Uh, would you say in this process, because I know we've talked before and you had said that uh, you kind of kind of really began this process, uh, you know, almost like during the, during the pandemic, like during stay at home. And would you say that there was any one person who was influential to you, like during your deconstruction or someone that you have found helpful or inspirational or helped you feel less alone in the process? It doesn't have to be anyone famous or anything, you know, but. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I looked at these questions ahead of time and that one I was kind of stumped on. And I will say that um, I think part of the reason I was stumped is because I thought, well, there's some people that have kind of negatively impacted, like pushed, like I would say Trump pushed me a lot towards deconstruction, you know, things like that. And then there's, but then there's also, I don't know if I could identify one person positively because there's been such a community, right? When I was in the midst of deconstruction, probably December, January, I launched into this um, clubhouse community that um, is a place where I moderate panels about faith and deconstruction and different topics. And that community has really carried me. And so as much as I'm leading a lot of those rooms, it's been so amazing to share space with people that are so authentic and brave and courageous. And so I would say as a, as a community, as a whole, there's been this group of people that within the pandemic, we've all kind of carried each other. And so um, that's been just profoundly helpful in the midst of deconstruction. Well, I can definitely attest to that if you've never been in one of Megan's clubhouse rooms <laughs> and you're on clubhouse because it is, it has, it's been, I mean, I've only been doing it now for a couple of weeks and it's been like the most impactful experience for me, even just getting to listen to so many different voices. And, and like I said before, like that community that you've kind of curated, um, you really seem to me to have this gift of seeing people and um, putting them together in the same place at the right time. And I, I just think that's invaluable. I feel like if I had that gift like three years ago, like what, how different my own deconstruction would have looked. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're using your time and your energy and your talents to, to do that sort of thing. Well, and it's interesting because some people that come into the space have been deconstructing for five or 10 years and are drawn to the community because of the very thing you just said, they didn't have that when they were started their deconstruction. And so it um, has been an outlet to really have some conversations that they wish they would have been able to have a long time ago. Totally. I mean, I, when I first began deconstructing, really all I had was Twitter. I mean, that was how I found out about the ex-evangelical community and the podcast. And uh, I, it didn't even really dawn on me until just the last couple of weeks when I've been meeting some people through you that I've been putting all this time and effort and energy into, uh, still doing good things on Twitter and, you know, good things have come out of it. I've made some good friends, but it's not the same as, uh, these conversations we're getting to have like on, you know, on discord and clubhouse. And, um, I, I didn't really quite realize what I was missing, you know, like I kind of had been shouting into a void for three years with not a lot of people talking back. Yeah. And sometimes you need people to talk back. <laughs> yeah. You know, but in a, uh, 
in a positive and affirming way. So yeah, it's, um, I agree. That's definitely been life changing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, and it, I'm, sh- we've kind of already touched on this next question a little bit. Um, but this is a question I see a lot that floats around and different, different ex-evangelicals have, have different perspectives on this. And I'm curious what yours is, but what is your take on the state of white evangelicalism in the U.S. today? So like as a whole, not just the SBC or, um, you know, Gospel Coalition, but just in general, do you think it should be redeemed or rebuilt in some way, or do you think it should just go away altogether? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I will say I have a really hard time finding redeeming qualities there. And I think, um, and I've tried, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with a book um, by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger called A Church Called Tove. But um, really, you know, after Kristen Dumay came out with a Jesus and John Wayne and everybody mm-hmm. was reading about evangelicalism over the years and how it's kind of perpetuated this white Christian nationalism, a lot of mm-hmm. people said, OK, well, the companion book is a church called Tove. And so I started reading it with a lot of hope, thinking, oh, great, this has some solutions. And really what it does is say churches need a culture of goodness. And it really went through some pastors like Mark Driscoll and Willow Creek and some things that where things had gone wrong and really identified what had gone wrong. And what I felt what was happening was they were kind of saying, okay, there might have been some very specific instances and let's identify what happened there. But it, to me, failed to address the problem as a whole. And, and things like I, within evangelicalism that you could say, I think some people say you can't paint a broad brush on evangelicalism, but there are things that you could say specifically (laughs) about not, not being affirming to the LGBTQ community and specifically about maintaining a sexual ethic that you have to be abstinent before you're married and things like that, that have caused harm that good, a culture of goodness within a church community is not going to solve the harm that's caused by some of the beliefs and complementarianism and, and the beliefs that are upheld within those communities. And so I think I have a hard time. I, I really, when I see things like re-evangelical and, and the new yeah. evangelicals, I keep them at an arm's length because I have a hard time mm. just, I guess I always say it's kind of like the hunger games, like the, yeah. um, a new <laughs> version of the same bad thing. And that's yeah. kind of how I look at it. So that being yeah. said, I am part of a progressive faith community and, um, you know, it's a church. And so I, and I, and I always say progressive faith community because I hesitate to use the word church, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I feel like so much of evangelicalism in the U S is rooted in white supremacy and colonization and, Again, like you said, you know, people say you can't paint yes. it with a broad brush, but I mean, you can absolutely pray, paint evangelicalism with that broad yes. brush of white supremacy and, um, and that, and even Christian nationalism, I feel like crosses, you know, when people, I think sometimes, especially people who didn't grow up evangelical, I think they hear Christian nationalism and they think, they only think January 6th, they only think the far right or QAnon or weird things like that, but it's so much 
more pervasive than that throughout Mm -hmm. every denomination because I didn't grow up SBC. I grew up in charismatic Pentecostal churches like Assemblies of God and Foursquare. And we threw huge Fourth of July musicals every summer with like pomp and circumstance and confetti cannons and praying for our nation. And like, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's far more reaching than people realize. Yes, absolutely. And, and yeah, I don't, I'm, and, and then I, I'm with you. I'm having a hard time seeing, uh, any redemptive qualities there. I yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if it's, uh, if it, uh, can be saved. <laughs> So I always think this question is interesting too. If you could go back and I just picked an age that I thought that is kind of a formative age for a lot of people. But if you could go back to your 18 year old self and tell them something now, anything, like any, like the most important thing that you would want them to know. And it doesn't have to be, uh, it can be anything you want, you know, anything that you think is important that she should have known, 18 year old Megan should have known. Yeah, I think I would say be true to yourself. I think I, um, when I, when I was 18, I turned 18 the day I moved into my college dorm. I was a very young, I was a late August birthday. And so I was very young for my age all along. And so I think, um, I, I really worried a lot about what other people thought of me. And so mm-hmm. I think part of how much I bought into all the rule following is how much acceptance I got in that from my parents, from my leaders, from camp counselors, from people around me. And so I think um, I didn't really listen to my true self, those inklings of discomfort that I had, like when I went to the protests about the war or when I would see things that would make me uncomfortable, I, I think I would go back and say, be true to yourself. And as I'm learning a little bit about Enneagram and I'm thinking that I might be a three. I think I can kind of connect some dots here. So I'm, I'm just, oh, just now exploring that. So, well, that is a, that's a very fun road to go down. I know some people think that it's, I, I, I've talked to people on both sides. I think that it's, you know, it's not helpful or it's, but I've definitely, I mean, I, but I'm kind of, I'm one of those people that I, I like taking all those personality tests. I just think it's kind of fun to see what, you know, and, um, astrology fascinates me and like tarot and all those things. And that's kind of something that I've allowed myself to explore as almost a form of, um, like rebellion. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of those things were like frowned upon when we were, <laughs> yeah. when we were kids. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, but the Enneagram, I, I have to say it, it's actually been a really life giving thing in my deconstruction process. So I hope that you, have the same experience with it because it really helped me feel like I was understood and that I wasn't just kind of a freak you know (laughs) yeah yeah no I mean and I'm just getting started but it already the little that I've been learning about it has seemed quite helpful so (laughs) so I have this kind of silly question at the end that I want to ask everybody because I just think it cracks me up and I I can always think of my own answer for it in my head and so I want to know like what other people's answer is for it I tried to come up with a very universal scenario or a universal thing that if you grew up the way we did you would know what I'm talking about so 
imagine with me, if you will, you are an adult now, present day, walking through a small town somewhere in America, minding your own business. Maybe you're walking past some shops or stores down a sidewalk. And all of a sudden, there's music coming from one of these stores. And the 80s hit worship classic, Our God is an Awesome God, is blaring over their overhead speaker, spilling out onto the sidewalk. And you're just trying to walk by, minding your own business. What is the first thing that pops into your head? The first picture that pops into your head besides Rich Mullins. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's a great question. Yeah, that would definitely take me back. I will say though, I, I, this is probably not the answer you're looking for, but I saw Rich Mullins perform that song at a Christian music festival when I was in high school. So definitely saw him play that on the piano and sing that. So, um, yeah, I'm a little jealous. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. I, I probably won't ever tell this story again because I'll probably ask this question to other people and people don't want to hear it every time. But I will tell you since you're the first person I've asked it to. Nice. It reminds me of every now and then, and I I don't even know the reason why, but I remember we lived in a very, very small town when I was like in elementary school. And there was this park right by uh, a river, like the river literally kind of ran like alongside the park. And in the summertime, sometimes we would have church in this park. Like there was like an amphitheater type stage. And so when I think of it, that when I hear, think of that song, I think of like worship service outside at that park in this amphitheater. And the worship leader at the time was like, like the epitome of like, like California, like eighties surfer bro, um, with like the blonde hair and like the neon like tie-dye shirt and I can just I just have this flash memory of him like singing into like that microphone with like the big like orange like foam over the top of the microphone remember those like from the 80s yes, <laughs> yes. and that's what I think of when I think of that song Aside from Rich Mullins, but I never got to see the great Rich Mullins in concert. I know. Well, and I had to set aside to push through. I had to set aside my image of, I don't know if you've seen Netflix's A Week Away, the summer camp movie, but it's definitely a very evangelical CCM embedded musical. Oh, And um, they definitely have a campfire moment where everyone sings (laughs) Awesome God. So uh, something maybe to check out if you're feeling a little uh, yeah, a little nostalgic, nostalgic maybe <laughs> I don't know that's so I know it's so weird nostalgic a little like so, cringe just, nostalgia for you <laughs> just the other day was it like last week somebody tweeted like the cover of the album of of it was Carmen's album I think it was like revival in the house or something nice. And, I think it might have been Blake Chastain tweeted the picture of it. And I I hadn't seen it or thought about that in a couple, at least a couple of decades, at least. And, like, just seeing that picture, like, took me back. <laughs> like, yeah. I told Blake, I was like, that cassette tape was right in between the Michael W. Smith cassette tape and the Amy Grant cassette tape in this giant blue... Uh, I guess they were like CD holders, but they were cassette tape holders and they had little slots in them. 
Yeah. And it used to like sit under my parents' seat, like in the car or van, whatever we were driving back then. Anyway, that really <laughs> that that I got that same reaction when I tweeted out a when I found a copy of Josh Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye in a used bookstore recently and <laughs> I got that same reaction. So next someday if I ever come back on your podcast, we can unpack that. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. You know, it's funny, I was gonna bring him up when I did the episode about I think it was about shame and sexuality for the purity culture series. And I was hesitant because I've heard so many different, uh, really raw responses, um, to, you know, when he made his announcement that he was no longer Christian. And, um, it, it was, I kind of just wanted to let that lie. Like, I felt like I couldn't speak to it enough because that book, ironically, it actually came out, uh, I think I was like towards the end of high school, but it, it didn't make like a big stir at, at our church. Like, our, I mean, our youth group was fairly small comparatively. You know, I didn't, we didn't go to mega churches weren't a thing where I lived. Like it wasn't. Um, and so I didn't really, I never really read it because at the time I just, I was way too terrified of dating or boys or anything at all. Cause I was just terrified of, well, I was terrified of sex because you know, it was evil. <laughs> Oh yeah. So, so I, and I had very low self-esteem, so there was no way I was going to, um, even remotely try to be the pursuer, I guess is the word. So I just kind of, like, I remember hearing about it and I was like, mm, that doesn't even really apply to me. Cause I don't, I'm not even going to have anyone to date anyway. So what's the point? <laughs> That's so sad. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you and I could unpack a whole, I, I definitely went to a, I kiss dating goodbye conference with Josh Harris oh, wow. at Moody Bible Institute when I was oh, in college wow. with my college boyfriend. So we definitely oh. could unpack a lot that, from that book. So I will definitely, yeah, that's a whole nother. Th- yeah. Yeah. And I would like to do a whole episode on actually, uh, just Christian higher education in general and the, what that is like. I mean, I only yeah. spent a year in it, but uh, there's other people I follow who, you know, obviously were there all four years. I know some former professors who are willing to come on and talk about their experience um, deconstructing after having been a professor um, at one of those schools and how, wildly uh different they are just based on a wildly different and also similar but there's this perception that like a lot of the ones in california from where i was from or were like you know brazenly liberal but there's really like nothing liberal about them (laughs) they're still super unaffirming like (laughs) but like but boys and girls can sit next to each other in chapel so apparently that makes them blazingly liberal (laughs) And wear jeans. You can wear jeans. Yeah, you can wear jeans. Yeah, girls can wear pants. Pants are acceptable. I don't know about yeah. leggings, but. Right. <laughs> definitely too sexual. Definitely, definitely, definitely too much. Well, I would love for you to tell my listeners a little bit more about the current work that you're doing. Because I, I found you on Twitter and then saw that you had an Instagram, The Pursuing Life. So if you don't follow Megan and you're listening, definitely go check her out. But Tell us a little bit more about your blog and how that 
how that got started and uh and sort of what you kind of see maybe for yourself in the future yeah but no no pressure (laughs) no that's great so um yeah, very briefly, I wrote a memoir during quarantine. It was very, it was pre-deconstruction. It was very, um, had a really nice bow tied on the end of how lovely everything worked out. And then I deconstructed. <laughs> and so now I say I'm deconstructing my uh, memoir. And so <laughs> I started a blog in that process and it's called The Pursuing Life. So it's just thepursuinglife.com. And then I have Twitter and Instagram and Clubhouse is where you know, you'll find me hosting rooms and things, Twitter, I'm on a lot. So yeah, and I, I do hope to write an, a book about deconstruction. I'm still kind of looking at different lenses about which to write that, through which to write that about. So I think, um, yeah, I'm trying out a different, a few different things. So, but yeah, you can check out my blog and social media. That's great. And I will put uh I'll put all of that stuff for all, all of you listening uh, in my episode notes uh, in the links from this episode. And I just want to say thank you for having this conversation. And for those of you listening, this is actually the first interview I've ever done. So thank you for bearing with me because <laughs> I'm still really new at this. But Megan has made it super easy and super fun. And um, and I do really, I do hope to have you on in the future. I think uh I think this is just like a great, almost, I feel like this is like a new phase even of my own deconstruction. I mean, I've been at this probably solidly for at least three years now. And um, I feel like it's like a new and better place. Like I even said to somebody the other day, maybe I'll write less and just listen to my friends talk on podcasts more. (laughs) Um, But it's yeah, it's definitely an evolution. (laughs) Definitely. I love it. And it's been it's been really great to connect with you as well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's I appreciate all the people I've met through you so far. And I'm sure it will only continue to grow. So all right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on again soon. Yeah, thank you. This has been another episode of The Life She Wrote. All the links from this episode are located in the episode notes, and you can always find more on today's topics on thelifesherote.com. Until next time.